Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Brewers 3, the Indians nothing. By the way, the Indians were no hit for the third time this season. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And, you know, I was talking about it going into this game. I was even considering going to this game because I knew that seeing Corbin Burns pitch this season would be something to see. I did not expect us to get no hit again for the third time, record-setting third time this season. Technically, the fourth time this season, if you want to go back and count that doubleheader loss against Tampa Bay, where we were technically no hit over seven innings. So, you know, officially three times no hit this season. Technically, Four times no hit this season. Is this the worst offense in the history of baseball? Not quite. But, boy, do they really know how to go out and put up a stinker. Or they just know how to go out and get into you know situations where they're facing ridiculously good pitching, which is the case here in Corbin Burns. So, let's get into this game. Let's get into the storylines. And uh, let's get into Corbin Burns because he's not someone that we see every day. Now, if you follow Pitching Ninja on Twitter, and I was just talking about him yesterday, right? This Twitter account, YouTube account, podcasting account that loves pitching, making pitching cool again. Pitching Ninja loves Corbin Burns. He's tweeting out stuff from him all the time because the guy's got an insane uh, two-seam fastball, sinker fastball that he runs in on lefties, right? That it backs up on lefties and comes back into the strike zone. He's got an insane cutter that he throws to lefties and righties. He's just got so much movement and spin on his pitches. It's insanity how good he is. And he is the probable NL Cy Young Award winner. So this one, this one doesn't feel that out there that the Indians got no hit. I mean, you're facing a guy you never see, playing a team you never play. And he's the he's going to be the NL Cy Young winner. So honest to God, this one doesn't feel as out in left field as some of the other ones did. Um, So, yeah, so uh, the actual, you know, game here, the actual game here, the uh, Brewers throw up two runs early, two runs in the first. Plesak said he was having trouble getting going. He said he pushed himself with the extra off day. He pushed himself a little too hard during the week and some of his routines that he does. I think he said he was doing Pilates yesterday, uh, probably to get his legs in shape and uh, doing long toss, and his schedule was off, and so he felt like he felt like he pushed himself too hard, basically. Instead of resting, he, he pushed his body too hard during that extra day off, and so he didn't really have it in the first two innings. It took him a while to find a groove, so the Brewers put up three early, and then, I mean, they just cruise after that. Yelich, with a big double, uh, brings in Colton Wong early, who had walked to start the game, and then... Uh, he comes in on a uh, sack fly from Navarez. Then later in the game, Vogelbach would hit one into the right field corner. In the second inning, he would hit one into the right field corner. Once again, uh, Bradley Zimmer would have a hard time cutting off the ball. It seems like a it seems like it's going around with Indians right fielders. Just slide, just slide, and knock the ball down and get it in. You, Vogelbach's not going to second, but instead he bobbles it, trying to backhand it on a dead sprint. And uh, he goes a second, and then Rowdy Telez hits one in the right center gap for another double that brings in Vogelbach to score. That's the scoring. All right, we got that out of the way. 
Uh, now let's get into Corbin Burns pitching. Because Corbin Burns, the crazy thing is, it has to be a combined no-hitter. Burns' pitch count got so high that it had to be a combined no-hitter. Now he fought to go out there for the eighth inning. After the seventh inning, he was already over 100 pitches. When he was done with the eighth, he was up at 115 pitches, 78 for strikes. And uh, their manager, Craig Council, was basically like, look, I am not burning out the best pitcher in baseball going 125, 130 pitches into a game when we've got the playoffs right on the horizon. He literally, I mean, he literally told you like in a different season, basically saying in a season where we're not going to the playoffs, where we're not have a chance to win 100 games, where we, you know, aren't leading the division. If we were in third place, yeah, I would let him go out there and finish that no hitter. But we've got bigger things ahead of us. So he lets Hater go out there and finish the no hitter. And of course, Hater strikes out two in the ninth inning. Uh, makes a total 16 strikeouts on the day for Indians hitters. Now, what was Burns doing against us? Let's go to the player breakdown here. It's the cutter 56 times, the curveball 34 times, then mixing in 10 changeups, nine sliders, only five of those two seam sinkers, and then uh, one four seam fastball. Uh, the average exit velocity off him on the day was 80.6. I mean, not one pitch did we really hit hard. I think we only had like two or three hard hit balls. In fact, I could tell you, going back to the box score, he only gave up three hard hit balls on the entire day, and I believe those came later in the game. Uh, All right, back to the player breakdown here. The swing and miss on the cutter, 42% whiff rate on the cutter, 13 whiffs on 31 swings. On the curveball, it was a 57% 57% whiff rate, 8 whiffs on 14 swings, 60% whiff rate on the changeup, 3 whiffs on 5 swings, and a 33% whiff rate on the slider, 2 whiffs on 6 swings. Total, it's a 45% whiff rate. That's just the whiff rate. Add in 20 called strikes, mostly 10 on the curve and 9 on the cutter, and you've got yourself a 40% total CSW on the day. That's a guy going out there and getting his strikes. Man, that's insane CSW numbers. This is elite CSW numbers. And to let you know a little bit about how good this cutter is, are you ready for this? So the cutter's average velocity is 95.6, maxed out at 97.2, so it's a hard cutter. His average spin on it yesterday was 2,772 RPMs, all right, rotations per minute, the rotation of the baseball in the air. The tighter the rotation is on something like this, the harder the snap is, right? He's getting, he's getting, uh, it's not a lot of vertical, horizontal break. It's a lot of vertical break. Some of his other pitches break more horizontally. The cutter has more vertical break to it, which I'm surprised. Um, taking a look at some of the Indians pitchers that throw cutters, for example. So I told you 2,772 was his average spin yesterday. Brian Shaw obviously throws a cutter. His average spin yesterday was 2,490. So almost 300 less rotations of the ball uh, than... Burns had yesterday on his cutter. Like Parker also throws a cutter. He he averaged spin yesterday of 2,094. 
So almost 700 less rotations of the ball. And then uh, Garza throws a cutter as well. He averaged 2,328 rotations of the ball. So almost 400 less rotations of the ball in the air as it's coming to the batter. That spin is a huge factor in why that pitch is so effective, why it's so hard to hit. And all his pitches are like that. His spin is absolutely insane, even compared to his other pitchers. I mean, the spin on his... uh, on his slider is 2,965 rotations per minute. It maxed out at 3,048. Josh Hader, his only his own teammate, throw through an average spin of his slider of 2,517. So 400 less spins per minute of that ball than his own teammate. Let alone, you know, Plesak's slider spins at it averaged 1,998. So almost a thousand rotations less of the ball than uh than hater was throwing that's that's crazy that's absolutely crazy uh so yeah so that's how good corbin burns was yesterday against us now going over to the illustrator here frankly the indians were swinging at a ton of stuff out of the strike zone here um if you look at the uh, the illustrator, he was still with a curveball so much in the cutter, but he was throwing it off the plate to the right. He was throwing it outside to those righties and in on those lefties. Off the plate, a ton. He dropped a couple of curveballs in the zone, but then threw a ton down into the right edge of the plate. So again, making those righties chase, making those lefties throwing it down towards their feet, and they were chasing it for him. They were absolutely chasing it for him. If we isolate this to just look at strikeouts, um, Corbin Burns has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of his 14 strikeouts are below the strike zone, are down outside of the strike zone, let alone into the lefties and away from the righties. Harold Ramirez chased a slider that was in the other batter's box. There was one more cutter to Fermil Reyes on the outside edge that he swung through on a 3-2 count. So that was an eighth pitch that was outside of the strike zone. It wasn't below the strike zone. It was at the belt, but it was outside of the strike zone. And then he's got uh, six strikeouts in the strike zone. Uh, So yeah, so that's how he was doing it. Three strikeouts came on the curve, two on the changeup, one on the slider, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight on the cutter. Struck out eight guys with the cutter, and most of these are swinging strikes. He froze Bradley Zimmer in the fourth inning on an 0-2 count with a cutter on the outside edge. Uh, Everything else, I believe, was... Now, Fermil Reyes, he froze him with a curveball on a 2-2 count in the fifth inning. A curveball that was frankly up and in in a pitch that Fermil Reyes should probably drive to the bleachers, but he froze him. That's how good and afraid they were. I believe everything else here, and I'm double-checking, is a swinging strike. Oh, nope, that changeup at the bottom of the zone to Jose Ramirez was a called strike. Uh, It's right below, right at the bottom edge, but when you're that good as Corbin Burns, you're getting that call. Okay, so we had three looking, three backwards Ks. Everything else here is swinging. All right, so that is where he was getting the strikeouts yesterday. And and just an insane, I thought maybe he's going for, you know, forget the note. I knew his pitch count was high, and uh, I was thinking maybe he could go for a 20 strikeout game. But eventually, the Indians were starting to make a little bit of contact. Miles Straw does draw a walk here to break up the no-hitter. 
I believe that was in the seventh. They break up the perfect game. That was in the seventh inning. Bradley Zimmer would strike out. Jose Ramirez would ground out to second. Moves straw up to second because uh, he was moving on the pitch. He must have been moving on the pitch there. And then Fermil Reyes would strike out with a runner in scoring position. I mean, it was a 3 nothing game. If Fermil Reyes gets a hold of one there, uh, it completely flips this game around. But just nothing. Just the Indians' offense had absolutely nothing on the day. Now, how good is Corbin Burns compared to the rest of the league? Well, we're over on Fangraphs here looking at these league stats, and he is dominating war for all pitchers in baseball. This just isn't even the NL. This is looking at all pitchers in baseball. He's at 7.1 F war or war, war according to Fangraphs. They Remember, they do the calculations a little different. He's at 7.1. The next closest is Zach Wheeler at 6.5 and Garrett Cole at 5.2. That's how good he has been compared to the rest of the league. Now, when we start looking at different stats, ERA, he is dominating the league in ERA. He's at 2.25 ERA in the season, and Max Scherzer is right behind him at 2.28, and Walker Buehler of the Dodgers at 2.32. Those are your top. Man, in the American League, it's Robbie Ray from Toronto and Garrett Cole, who are at 2.69 and 2.78, respectively. They're sixth and seventh in baseball. So the NL starters have definitely taken the lead in this one. Now, what about expected ERA? You know, one of these, maybe if we mix in some advanced stats here, maybe Corbin Burns wouldn't be leading. Nope, he's dominating and expect, I mean, blowing away the field when it comes to expected ERA. Um, 189 compared to Zach Wheeler, who's at 277, almost a full point ahead. All right, what about fielding independent pitching? Right, The three true outcomes, a strikeout, a walk, or a home run, the thing that the pitcher and the batter have full control over. He is dominating the field in this. He's at a 1.5 FIP on the season. Garrett Cole is second at 2.65 over a full point ahead of him, ahead of all of baseball. That good, that dominant in fielding independent pitching. Uh, strikeout rate. Is he, uh, how's he doing in his strikeouts? Maybe there's a big strikeout guy that's better than him. Nope. 12.43 strikeouts per nine. This includes last night's stats. These are updated. Um, Garrett Cole second at 12.31 strikeouts per nine. So dominating in that category. Also does not give up home run balls. Just refuses to give up home run balls this season. His home runs per nine are at 0.30. The next closest is Kyle Gibson, who's at 0.68, and Zach Wheeler, who's at 0.74. So when it comes to not giving up home runs, this guy is doing it. You cannot get a home run off this guy. How many has he given up on the whole season, actually? I'm very curious to see this here. Uh, Corbin Burns has given up five home runs on the entire season. Wow. That's pretty incredible. That is pretty darn incredible. So Corbin Burns, absolutely fantastic this season. And we we got to see it now. When he wins the NL Cy Young, we'll say we got to see it. He no-hit us. He set the record by no-hitting us for the third time on the season. By the way, left out the fact that Zach Plesak was somehow the opposing pitcher in all three no hitters against us. That's just the probability of that is insanity. I mean, that's nothing police can control. 
That's not his fault at all. That the probability is insanity that the same guy would be out there for all three. There's only one other guy, and uh, Sarah Langs had the tweet. There's only one other guy in Major League history who has uh, who has lost three no hitters. Uh, been on the losing side of three no hitters, but he did it over the course of his career. It was Jim Perry in the '70s. Uh, Vita Blue for Oakland uh, did it against him. Steve Busby did it against him in 73. And then Nolan Ryan also did it against him in 73 when he was pitching for Detroit. So Jim Perry and G- and Plesak are the only pitchers to have three no-hitters thrown against them. But Plesak's done it all in one season. Come on. That's insanity. Uh, so yeah. So there's some historic facts for you. Now, you might be thinking, is this the worst? Is this the worst offense in all of baseball? Are the Indians that bad that they're the worst offense in all of baseball? They're actually not this season. Uh, when it comes to batting average, they're 24th in baseball at 236. Uh, when it comes to war, let's see where they rank in war, because uh, that's always a good measure of a team. They're 23rd in baseball at 11.8. Houston's the best at 30.1. Do they strike out the most of any team in baseball? Well, the strikeout rate's pretty high, but they're actually 14th in baseball. In, you know, looking at this stat in reverse, I guess we could flip this number around so that the lowest strikeout team is first. That would be Houston. And then the Indians check in at 17th in baseball at 23.4. The worst would be the Cubs at 26.9. So, yeah, they don't hit great. They strike out a little too much. I was looking at the plate discipline numbers. They have the team plate discipline numbers to see how much they swing outside of the zone, the O swing uh, numbers, outside of the zone swinging. The best at this in baseball is the San Diego Padres. They do not chase outside of the zone. They're at 27.6% swinging outside the strike zone. The Cleveland Indians are 20th in baseball at 32.2. So they're not the worst. The Kansas City Royals are actually the worst team at chasing outside the zone. Now, what about making contact when they go outside the zone? Well, the team that makes the most contact outside the zone is Houston. No surprise there. Cleveland is actually 13th in baseball when making contact outside the zone. So it's not as bad of a chase and miss as I thought it was going to be. When it comes to swinging strikes... Uh, the best team in baseball at swinging strikes would be Houston at 8.7% swinging strikes. It is really hard to get them to whiff. Cleveland comes in at 19th in this at 11.6% swinging strike. Uh, called strikes, let's take a look at that. Are the Indians hitters just not seeing the ball? Uh, actually, the best team at this in baseball is Atlanta at 14.2% called strike. You can't get one past Atlanta. Cleveland comes in at 15th in this at 16.6. Houston is actually the worst at this. So they're very patient. They don't swing outside of the zone. They don't chase. But you can also get them to look at a strike in the zone. They're at 18.1%. So I guess that number ain't that bad to be uh, be at the bottom of that number. Considering there might be the best offensive team in baseball. So there are some of the chase numbers for the Indians. Yeah, they're kind of middle of the pack when it comes to chasing things. I thought with all these no-hitters and all these strikeouts, they would actually be one of the worst teams in baseball at this. But uh, they're fair. They're fair at this. So that's what's going on offensively for the Indians, a team that's been no-hit 
three, maybe four times this season if you count the doubleheader, the seven-inning doubleheader. Um, so, yeah. I mean, on the other side of things, just to finish up the storylines of this game, Plesak didn't pitch terrible. He goes six innings, four hits, three runs, only two earned, uh, two walks, and three strikeouts. It's It qualifies as a quality start. He go, throws 84 pitches. He's only hard hit six times. He said he started to find success with his off-speed stuff. He knew that the off-speed stuff is where he was going to make outs. He was using the four-seam fastball. He got 11 called strikes with it. So he was using it to establish some strikes here. But he knew the off-speed stuff was where he was going to get outs, he said. Uh, and he did. He had decent C- uh, CSW numbers, a 33% CSW on the fastball. Most of the other called strikes. Uh, 22% on the changeup, 33% on the curveball, which he only threw 12 times, but a 33% CSW. It's good for a 27% CSW on the day. It's a fairly competent start um, from Zach Plesak. He mix, mixed in all four of his pitches. And yeah, it's a fairly competent start. He gives up three runs early and then really settles down and settles into a groove. And I mean, at that point, it was all Corbin Burns' watch. I mean, no one really cared what was happening when the Brewers were up to bat. They just wanted to get back into that field and make some defensive plays. And man, did they. Man, did they. It, it always takes some good defensive plays to make a no-hitter, right? To complete a no-hitter. And they definitely got one to end the eighth there. Uh, who was up to bat? Owen Miller hits a line out to uh, right center field. It'd be one of those hard-hit balls. In fact, the last two balls that... Uh, the last two outs that Corbin Burns made was 105.7 mile per hour ground out to Harold Ramirez. And then Owen Miller hits one 96.7 into the right center field gap. It has an expected batting average of 520, but Lorenzo Kane is lightning out there, runs it down, makes a sliding catch on his hip, and uh, kind of gives the Dikebe Matumbo, I don't think so, finger. And uh, that are signaling one more inning to go. And uh, he, he basically told the Indians, I don't think so. You are not going to drop one in the gap in center field as long as I'm out here and break up this no-hitter for my pitcher. So Lorenzo Kane with a big defensive play. Uh, for the Indians, Owen uh, Miles Straw had a good defensive play, I think in the fourth inning. Um, I think maybe it was Pablo Reyes' fly out in the fourth inning. Uh, somebody flew out deep to center field. Uh, it could have been Jace Peterson in the third inning. Someone flew out deep to center field, and he caught it basically leaping up off the wall. A little bit of a Spider-Man grab off the wall for Miles Straw. Another example of why Miles Straw is going to be the starting center fielder for the next few seasons for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, good defensive play there. So, uh, yeah. Jace Peterson also had a good one in the ninth, kind of diving into the net. And when he didn't dive into the net to catch the ball. He caught the ball on the run, but then his momentum, the only choice he had was to crash into the wall or dive into the net, and he chose to dive into the net. Uh, Yeah, a little less of an impact for him. Can't blame him on that one. So Peterson with a nice catch in foul territory in the ninth inning for Hayter to finish this thing off. So that's all my thoughts on this one. The Indians, I know. You know what? Indians Twitter, I hate it so much. I hate it so much sometimes. The two takes on Indians Twitter were this team blows and man, we suck. And I'm like, have a more nuanced conversation than that. I know that's not what Twitter's for. That's what podcasting is for, to have a nuanced conversation. But man, Indians Twitter has just the laziest takes. Dolans are cheap. AAA lineup. I mean, 
They're not wrong. This lineup is, these batting averages are just pathetic. I mean, Owen Miller is still hitting 190. Andres Jimenez is still hitting 193. Austin Hedges is hitting 176. The best batting average in the lineups yesterday were Miles Straw 268 and Harold Ramirez at 264. The only OPSs over 800 are Reyes and Jose Ramirez. Uh, Bobby Bradley and Harold Ramirez are hanging in there with OPSs over 700. Everybody else is sick, you know. Miles Straw's at 694. He's so close to 700 there. Uh, yeah, so it's really weak OPSs. It's really weak batting averages. Yeah, this team needs to figure some things out. In my opinion, and we will talk more about this, they have to address some offense from the catching position. Even if Austin Hedges comes in in the eighth inning to you know catch the end of a game, a close game, you got to get someone who could swing the bat. Uh, get a little bit of offensive production from the catching position. Second base is definitely something that has to be talked about, right? Is Owen Miller or Andres Jimenez going to be it at second base? Or are you going to find a second baseman that can hit, you know, another veteran second baseman out there? Or are you just going to keep plowing ahead with the rookies? How much rope does Bobby Bradley get at, you know, first base? How much of an opportunity does Bobby Bradley... I I want to see Bobby Bradley continue to get the opportunities. I really think there's a great baseball player, a great hitter in Bobby Bradley. We just got to, you know, figure it out. Get him to find it and be consistent with it. Uh, And yeah, so and then the corner outfield. Again, how much do you give Bradley Zimmer and Oscar Mercado and Harold Ramirez? Or do you go find a competent corner outfielder that can hit that can put up some production my god the biggest mistake this Indians franchise has ever made will be letting go of Michael Brantley biggest mistake this franchise has made over the last 10 years is letting Michael Brantley walk that dude should have been locked up he was such a good hitter such a professional hitter so yeah so there's a lot to talk about with this offense, but have a more nuanced take than you know, these guys blow. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. The Indians are no hit by a combined no hitter from Corbin Burns and Josh Hader and lose 3 0 to the Milwaukee Brewers. It doesn't get any easier today. I believe it's a one o'clock game today which is nice because they'll miss the Browns game. So we can watch a little baseball and then we can really lock in for the Cleveland Browns. It's a one o'clock game. Oh, it's going to be Lauer. I thought it was going to be Woodruff. They changed things up on us. Okay, it's going to be Lauer going against Savali. So let's see if Savali can add to his win total, get back on the winning side of things and, you know, win the finale. We never win these series anymore, but maybe we'll win the finale. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.